Hi, I'm Tom Marks with the Marks Law Firm in Orlando, Florida, and welcome to the Healthy Family Law Attorney. Today, we're going to talk about mandatory disclosure. What documents do you need to produce in your case? Rule 12.285 tells us what documents need to be produced. Also, the Supreme Court has approved changes to the form um, as of January 1st, 2021. I'll go over the differences with you. I'm going to give you a bit of an overview of the rule and mandatory disclosure. I'm hearing from a lot of my clients that my videos are helping them save the time and the money of having to have the attorney explain all of these uh, details and issues to the client. If they can watch the video for free, then all the better. So let's start. So the first document you have to produce is the financial affidavit. There are some exceptions to that, but the vast majority of cases, not only do you need to complete the financial affidavit, but you also have to file it with the court. Whereas the mandatory disclosure documents, you do not have to file. Your attorney may end up filing some of the documents later uh, for a hearing as evidence or at the final trial in the case, if it goes that far. You have two different forms of the financial affidavit. One, the short form, which is for those making less than $50,000 a year, and the long form, those making more than $50,000 a year. I've done a prior video on the financial affidavit, which I think is the most important financial document in the case. So if you wanna really look at that in detail, check out that video on the financial affidavit. Okay, number two, you have to produce your tax returns. You've got federal personal income tax returns, you've got gift tax returns, and you've got uh, foreign tax returns. Most people just have the personal federal income tax returns and you have to produce those for the last three years. Those are really important. Those, now when we produce them, we produce everything in uh, order of how it's requested in the mandatory disclosure. We're the good guys, we wear the white hat, we do it correctly, we don't get in trouble with the judge. Where I run into problems oftentimes is with the other side who don't produce all the documents they're required to or they don't produce them in any particular order and it's all convoluted and makes it more difficult. Um, but I use mandatory disclosure most often to find hidden assets, number one, or to document or confirm the income or the assets or the liabilities that the other side has put on their financial affidavit. So for instance, with the tax returns, you're gonna be able to see with all the schedules that are required to be produced, is there 1099 income, is there W-2 income? So if the financial affidavit doesn't show dividend and interest income, but only shows the W-2 salary income, I'll be able to see that from the, um, from the tax returns. Okay, let's look at number three. Okay, this specifically says that both parties have to produce W-2s, 1099s, and K-1s. Obviously, W-2s are for salary, 
1099s are for independent um, contractor income or dividends and interest, and K1s are for business income, uh, like a partnership or um, distributions that an owner might have in a business. Those are really important. Those show me income for the purpose of calculating child support guidelines and also for determining the amount of alimony if that's gonna be an issue in the case. Okay, let's quickly move on, number four. Okay, this is pay stubs. This is really important. The old form mandatory disclosure only required three months of pay stubs. The new form starting January 1st, 2021, now requires six months of pay stubs. Pay stubs offer a wealth of information. They will show um, health insurance, life insurance, disability insurance, available, paid for perhaps by the employer, or if there's a contribution by the employee. Also, of course, income and other benefits um, that may be included in income if they reduce otherwise ordinary living expenses. And that is something that's in the statute in another section. All right. Number five, this is something that's not used that often. It's if uh, someone does not have pay stubs and it's a statement of financial income. Um, it might be for someone who's paid cash or something of that nature. Typically someone who's paid under the table or cash isn't gonna produce pay stubs or a financial statement. That's when we've gotta trace where they get their income from or try to prove it based on lifestyle. All right, number six, these are loan applications. These have to be given for the past 24 months. Loan applications are actually very helpful. This is the one time that the party is not going to try to minimize their income. On the loan application, they're trying to maximize their income so they can get a bigger loan or maybe even a lower interest rate. So you can get a lot of very valuable information off of a loan application. Okay, this is number seven. This is deeds that someone has in real property. So it might be the marital home, it might be a condo at the beach, it might be a vacant lot that was gonna be built on at some point, it might be a business real estate venture or the land that uh, the business sits on or a building that's owned or something of that nature. Also, this uh, requires the production of promissory notes. So if somebody owes you or the other party money in a promissory note, then that has to be produced also. And that is any promissory note entered into in the last 24 months. Okay, let's look at number eight. Okay, this is bank statements. This used to be only for three months. Now it's been increased to 12 months of bank statements. So it's checking, savings, money market, CDs, or any other type of bank statements that have to be produced. These can be used uh, very effectively for tracing. So if we need to hire a forensic CPA, for instance, and I've done an interview with Robert Cruz, a uh, financial expert, a CPA, forensic um, accountant, uh, who does that kind of work. Or we can just look at the bank statements and see if there were substantial 
withdrawals from the bank statement or a CD or a money market and we need to trace it and see where it went. If it went into a, another account that's not been produced or it's been given to someone else, we need to know what happened with those funds. All right, number nine. These are brokerage account statements. So these can be for any financial institution. Uh, again, they show what assets are available, what types of investments are available. That's for equitable distribution. I've done a prior video on equitable distribution if you wanna check that out. And I talk about these issues. All right, number 10. That is for retirement plans. They can be 401ks, 403bs, IRAs, anything like that. Those all have to be produced and those have to be produced for the last 12 months. These can be very helpful. You want to know if have there been any loans taken against the 401k, historically what type of contributions have been made. If there is a claim that a portion of the retirement plan is non-marital. In other words, that it was uh, funded prior to the marriage in some part, then what we have to do is get the statement for the retirement account from the date of the marriage, and then another statement from the retirement account as of the date of filing the petition, so you can capture the amount of increase in value of the retirement account during the marriage and that's the marital component and the the amount that was in the account prior to the marriage is arguably the non-marital component number 11 this one is new this is virtual currency this is cryptocurrency this is bitcoin or other types of virtual currency. This is something that was not in mandatory disclosure previously. So this really reveals how much this has come into play in the last year or two, really. So we've seen the value of these virtual currencies explode. And so even nominal amounts that may have been held previously could be worth substantial amounts now. So if you know your spouse has this type of virtual currency, please let your attorney know in case that is not disclosed in the mandatory disclosure. By the way, there are sanctions for failure to fully disclose all documents for all assets or liabilities in the mandatory disclosure. Those sanctions can be attorney's fees and so forth. All right, number 12 is life insurance policies. These are really important for a couple of reasons. Number one, life insurance policies may have some cash value. So not all life insurance is term life insurance with no value. So that needs to be seen. You need to see the declarations page and so forth. And then secondly, any type of life insurance can be used to secure child support and possibly to secure alimony. So if you're receiving child support and you wanna make sure that gets paid no matter what happens to your former spouse, then that life insurance steps in in the event of an untimely death of your former spouse. It pays for or secures the child support or perhaps alimony that you would have received. So number 13 is corporate partnership or trust tax returns for the last three years. Sometimes this is relevant, 
Most of the time it's not. Most people don't own a corporation, but if, if they do own a business and it's incorporated or they have an interest in a partnership or a trust, yes, these tax returns must be produced to show that they have an interest in those entities. All right, let's look at number 14. Okay, this is credit card and charge account statements for the last 24 months. This is a big change from the prior mandatory disclosure requirement of only three months of statements. Now it's 24 months, really important. Credit card statements can show a lot of expenses that were made in the last two years that may have resulted in marital waste, number one, which may have purchased assets that have not been disclosed, number two, and that just show the level of living uh, that the other spouse has engaged in over the last 24 months um, and what debt has been incurred. Also, it includes promissory notes for which you owe money. The prior promissory note requirement was for promissory notes which people owed you money. All right, number 15. This is all premarital or marital agreements you and your spouse may have entered into during the marriage. So this might be a prenuptial agreement, might be a postnuptial agreement. Obviously those are very important. Those have to be produced. Those have to be looked at by your attorney very carefully. Number 16. Okay, this is basically any documents that you're going to use to show or claim that you have an interest in non-marital property that's been enhanced or has appreciated or when you're seeking an unequal distribution of the marital assets and debts. That means you're asking for, or maybe your spouse is asking for more than a 50-50 split of the equitable distribution. So equity means fairness, distribution means how are we gonna divide up the marital assets and debts. And so one party may ask for more than half. You have to have pretty good reasons to do that. Documents have to be produced that would substantiate that. All right, let's look at number 17. Okay, this is just court orders that require you to pay child support or alimony in another relationship. That's important because if you already have a child support obligation in another relationship, then that's going to reduce the amount of child support you're gonna pay in the current divorce or paternity situation. Alimony is obviously used when calculating the child support guideline worksheet as if it's a deduction, so it reduces gross income, and so there's less there available to pay child support. So that needs to be produced in order to get credit for that on the child support guideline worksheet. All right, those are all the documents that need to be produced in mandatory disclosure. For my clients, I like to say that the more organized you are, the better you're putting them together in chronological order, fully providing the number of months that are required, whether it's six months, 12 months, or 24 months of documents and in categories that correspond to these numbers, one through 17, that saves the attorney and his staff time in putting those together. So we have to do a certificate of compliance with mandatory disclosure and send that to 
the other side with all the documents attached. So you want to save your attorney and his staff or her staff that time and effort because that will reduce the attorney's fees and uh, paralegal fees that are required to put that together. I know that sometimes I have difficulty with the other side not producing things in an orderly fashion or not providing things completely. That does subject the other side to sanctions. I don't want us, my clients, to be subject to sanctions. So we do a really thorough job and get them done correctly. Okay, so finally in my firm, I like to have the paralegal put together all of the mandatory disclosure because that saves the client money also. The paralegal's uh, professional rate is lower than the attorney's rate and there's a lot of detail that goes into that. So that is uh, a good practice pointer for the client. Work well, communicate well with the paralegal. She puts, he puts everything together and then the, the attorney can approve it and it gets sent out to the other side in a very effective way. So remember, you're part of the team, you know the facts, you produce the documents, and we put together the legal part of the team. So I hope this has been helpful to you today. I wanna to provide that hope and help to families to successfully navigate the family law process in a healthy way. I believe your family matters. So thank you for being part of the channel today. Like and subscribe, hit that bell icon, leave a comment, and we will look for you on the next video. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.